Hi, my name is Jonathan. I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. We're so glad that you found us online and wanted to let you know that at Heights, it's our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do that is by posting weekly content at all of the places that you might visit on a regular basis. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. You can find us with a podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page as well. If you're finding us for the first time, make sure that you let us know you were here by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out the digital connect card. We're so glad that you found us. Amen. If you have ever been uh, to the Statue of Liberty or maybe you've seen pictures of it or, or seen this up close, at the base of the Statue of Liberty, uh, there is a plaque and there is a long poem there that's written by Emma Lazarus in 1688. And part of that poem says this, give me your poor, give me your tired, give me your huddled masses. You know, the fabric of our nation is that. You give me your poor, you give me your tired, you give me your huddled masses. America has always been described as this melting pot. Now in this melting pot as a nation, that means that our nation is comprised of people that have literally come all over the world uh, to now make up the fabric of America. And a melting pot is just that. You take various metals and you put it in a pot and you boil them all down, you melt them all down to produce produce a stronger alloy, to produce a stronger metal. You know, if you think about America and the direction we're heading, by 2045, it is predicted by our Census Bureau that there will be no more majority race within the United States. So in just a little over 20 some odd years, you're going to have no more majority race. That means this, we're becoming more and more diverse ethnically, literally overnight within the United States. What that means is this, as diversity continues to grow among us, we have two options. We either, one, learn how to operate within that diversity, celebrate that diversity, become that melting pot again where we're strong, or we push back on that diversity. We create hostility among those uh, that maybe come in from other places or don't always look like us or talk like us. What that also means this is for the church. For a church to effectively reach its communities that are becoming more and more diverse, churches are going to have to produce a new type of disciple that we have not been producing over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And this word I use, new type of disciple, is not really a new, new type of disciple. It's actually a disciple that returns back to the Bible. It's a disciple of Jesus Christ that roots themselves in the person of Christ, finds their identity in him, and is on mission with Jesus like he calls us to be in the Bible. See, when Paul is writing this letter to the Christians in Ephesus, they are a melting pot, if you will, of a society. They're a society just like us, where there is hostility among different groups of people. Now you have local churches that are being started, and you have these groups coming together and trying to figure out how we do life, how we do this Christian life, and how we worship Jesus together, even among our differences. What you see here is Paul writing to you a description of a Christ-centered missionary. And in order to effectively continue to reach people around us, you and I have to learn how to be a Christ-centered 
missionary. And so in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 13, Paul gives you two ways you can outline this passage. First, he's going to show you the message of this mystery that our choir just sang about. And then he's going to show you the mission of this mystery, how we live this mystery out. Let's pick up in verse 1 where Paul then writes, he says, we need to understand the message of this mystery, the message of this mystery. Let's pick up in verse 1. Paul writes, for this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Verse 5 says, which was made known to the sons of men and other generations, and now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Notice verse 6, and this is a verse you may want to underline or circle in your Bible. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is a message that we need to understand. Paul tells you first and foremost in verse one that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It is Paul that is literally writing this letter from prison. This is what we call one of the prison epistles. He is in prison for his faith in Christ. Now your faith may not lead you to prison one day, but is your faith worth enough? Is your faith real enough to lose a job over? Maybe to lose friends over? To one day, and I know this is hard to say on Mother's Day, to even lose family over? Is your faith one where you say, I am so in line with Jesus Christ, I am so in line with my identity in him, he's my savior, I follow him at any cost. That's Paul. He's writing from prison saying that I will give up anything to follow Jesus Christ. You know, there are some verses that have really been impactful to me over the years, and it's verses that God used when I was 14 years old to convict me of my sin and to lead me to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Just verses that I had heard a preacher one day say and read, and they just hit me like a ton of bricks. Have you ever had that in church? Where you go afterwards, why were you talking directly to me? And I look at you and I'm like, well, I wasn't talking directly to you. I was talking to everybody, but the Holy Spirit was talking directly to you. Anybody else but me ever experienced that one, right? And these are verses, I mean, they just hit me like a ton of bricks and they've never left my mind and never left my heart. And I just think about them often. It's this, it's Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Jesus says, if you desire to come after me, you have to deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. And I can remember just that, that preacher saying it this way in the Methodist church I attended at 14 years old, sitting up in the balcony on the top left pew. That was the people's pew, if you will. It's where we sat every Sunday. Some of you don't look so judgmental. You do the same thing, right? Okay. That's where we sat. That's, that was the people's pew. Balcony, front, left. All right. That's where we were. Verse 25, he said this. Christ said, if you desire to save your own life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my name's sake shall find it. And, and, and teenagers in the room, you need to learn this lesson that some adults are still trying to learn. Then he asks a question, Jesus does in verse 26. 
He says, what good is it of a man if he gains the whole world, yet he forfeits his soul? Is your faith so real that you say, I'm not forfeiting my soul to chase after the world. I'm going to lose my life on behalf of Christ. That's a Christ-centered missionary because Paul understood we have a message to understand that we take to the nations, and this is the message, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery that Paul's talking about. And Pastor Matt mentioned it briefly earlier very well that a mystery in Scripture, it's not a Perry Mason, it's not a Ben Matlock, it's not an Adrian Monk, it's not a Sherlock Holmes. I think I hit all the generations in that one, right? (laughs) It's none of that, but it is something in Scripture that's not understood until it's divinely revealed. And what you see in the Old Testament is the idea that the Gentiles are going to worship with the Jews. It goes all the way back to Abraham, wherein when God comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, his name's Abram at the time, and God changes his name later, but he comes to Abram. And he says, Abram, from you, I'm going to make a nation. And this nation is going to bless all nations. And in that promise, you have the promise of the Jewish nation that's now going to extend its light out to the Gentiles. And so through the book of Isaiah, there's often times that God says, Jews, you're going to be a light unto the Gentiles. Well, the Jews understood that. Well, yeah, we're, we're supposed to be a light to them, but they're going to have their own places of worship because that's those people that are going to worship over there, but we have our places of worship, and we worship over here, and they'll worship over there. Well, then you have Acts chapter 10, where Christ has now died on the cross Christ is resurrected from the grave. Christ has ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has come down. And God gives Peter and a man by the name of Cornelius a vision that says, now the Gentiles are coming to the church. That now the Gentiles, notice verse 6, what does it say? They're fellow heirs. They're fellow partakers of the promise that they are one with us. These are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus. So now you have local churches that are starting and Gentiles are now coming in with Jews and they're worshiping the same Jesus and they're trying to figure out how to do this. Is the carpet going to be red? Are we going to sing the old songs or the new songs? Are we going to require circumcision, not require circumcision? How are we going to do baptism? How are we going to do Lord's Supper? Are we going to have kids ministry? What are we going to do? All these questions we go through in churches, don't we? And you had some groups go, hey, all right, we can do all the new stuff. And some of them go, no, 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 no. We've never done it like that here before. Am I the only one who's had those conversations? And so you have all this now coming in. And I think it's hard for us in our Western ideas to kind of get how tough this is for them, to kind of get the controversy of this. But I want you to see the beauty and the power of God in this mystery. See, by 300 AD, historians estimate that there are 5 million Christians in the Roman Empire. 
All right, so let's just say Jesus dies on the cross in between 30 and 33 AD, but I'm just going to do easy math. And let's just say Jesus died on the cross at 30 AD. So in 270 years that have passed, you go from a handful of Christians to 5 million Christians in the Roman Empire. They did that without live streaming services. They did that without all the technology we have. How in the world, in 270 years, does a ragtag group of fishermen and accountants and political assassins and all these guys go from this handful of group to 5 million people throughout the Roman Empire? Let me tell you how they did it. There were a lot of things that were happening in the Roman Empire in 270 years in that span. There were major earthquakes, there was pandemics, there was diseases, there was death, there was government oppression, there was orphans, there were widows, there were all these things that were happening. And you had a culture that was searching for truth, you had a culture that was searching for answers, and yet over here you had this group of people called Christians who said, we understand and have a little bit of hope differently than you. Our hope is in this man by the name of Jesus, who we believe died on a cross for us and rose from a grave. And now, even though we're different in a lot of ways, Jews and Gentiles, we're learning how to worship this man. We're learning how to come together. And so do you know who led the way in the Roman Empire in 270 years in disaster relief? It was the Christians. You know who led the way in adoption? It was the Christians. You know who led the way in widow care and caring for orphans and widows? It was the Christians. And it was folks living out their faith as Christ-centered missionaries, a culture looking in and saying, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense to us because that's not the way we think we operate and should operate. We want to know this better way that you're showing us. And so first, you and I need to understand this message of this mystery that Christ says that when we come to Jesus, no matter who you are, or where you're from, or language you speak, or skin color, or any of that, that we are one in Christ. We are fellow heirs and partakers of the same promise. But let me give you the second thing that you and I need to do as Christ-centered missionaries. First, second, we need to live out this mission of the mystery. The mission of this mystery. Let's pick up in verse 8. Paul shows us this mission. He says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, the grace that was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God may be known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So we see a message that we preach. We see a mission we live out. And Paul there gives you three groups that we live this mission out in front of. Three groups that we share the gospel to. First, he says in verse eight, it's to the Gentiles. Those are people that are far from God, all right? That are far from God. And let me ask you, who's that person in your life that you would say that person's far from God right now? Who's that person that you can pray for, 
Who's the person you can invite to church? Who's the person you can have the gospel conversation with? Who's that person that you say is far from God? That's the first group. Well, second group that we share the gospel with and we live this out is we inform the world of the church. So it's Gentiles, those far from God, but now the world we inform of the church. Verse nine, to bring light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God whom created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God may be known. So we inform those far from God, but also verse nine shows us we inform the world of the church. You know, back in the 1960s and 70s, that's one of my favorite spans of U.S. history to study. There was something that happened out in California, and if you saw the Jesus Revolution movie, you caught on to a little bit of the Jesus movement, which is fascinating to study out more and more. But what you had out in California was this group called the Hippies. Some of you know the Hippies because you may have been a hippie at one point in your life, or or you were in that decade of time as a teenager, a young college student. We had this group called the hippies and the hippies were looking for truth. They were looking for community. They were looking for a place to belong. And often what the hippies did was they would turn to drugs to try to find those answers or false religions or different kind of cults. Well, what began to happen out in California in the 1960s was you had some of these hippies that started to get saved, and they started going to church because that's what you do when you get saved. You go to church, right? And so then you had some churches that said, you don't belong here. We're not going to take your kind. And you had some churches who said, come on in. And those churches that said, come on in, many of them experienced a move of God and revival. And those that put their hands up and said, you don't belong here, well, they missed a move of God because what happened in the 60s and 70s is what this thing called the Jesus movement that was birthed in California and started spreading throughout parts of the South, uh, started spreading up parts in the Northeast, and it captured the attention of the nation. Why? Well, Because also many of you know in the 1960s and 70s, there was a lot of racial tension within our country. Uh, There was also the Vietnam War. And you could describe the 60s and 70s within our nation as hostile, tense, uh, an upsetting time, a hard time. And you had a culture that was now searching for truth searching for answers, and for many of them looked into the church, and what did they see among some churches? Regular folks now worshiping with hippies. People that you go, well, yeah, you kind of belong in a church, and then some of them looking and going, you don't even have shoes on today. What's going on? You had short hair and long hair people worshiping together. And for many people in the culture, they saw something different. They saw something attractive. They were looking for community and answers, and they found it in the church. Because what was happening in a lot of those churches in the Jesus movement didn't make sense. So hear me when I say this, and hear me really well. Oftentimes, people that don't know Christ, as they're searching for hope, 
as they're searching for truth, as they're searching for answers, are at the same time searching for community. And what will draw them first is community. And when they find community, then they'll be open to finding truth. And so let me just ask you this morning, is there someone in your mind, is there a group of people in your mind that you would say, you don't belong here? Is there a group of people you would look out at our culture today and our community and say, not at Heights Baptist Church, you don't belong here? Let me just remind you, if you say this morning, that kind of person doesn't belong in church, that kind of person isn't welcome in my church, could I just take you to chapter 2, verse 13 real quick? And I just want to read these words. Actually, I'm going to back you up to verse 12. Remember these words in chapter 2, verse 12 we went over a couple of weeks ago? Remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. You might look at that verse and go, wait a minute, I, that's not me, I'm Baptist. No, you know what? That's you, you're a Gentile, right? That, that was me, that was you. We were outsiders looking in. We didn't have the promise of Israel. We didn't have the covenant of promise of salvation. But notice verse 13. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this morning, in your heart and your mind, if you look out and say, well, that person doesn't belong, you don't belong, I'm just going to pray that the Lord would remind you, whether gently or whether he needs to do it with his Holy Spirit spiritual two-by-four, that you were once one of those people yourself. But someone brought you close, someone developed community, someone shared the gospel, and it is Christ Jesus that brought you in. And so I desire always to pastor a church that doesn't put their hand up and say, you don't belong. I desire to be a church that loves and leads all people to new life with Christ to say, you all belong. Amen? Amen. It is the message of the mystery that Christ breaks down walls of hostility. He brings groups together. It's the mission that we preach to the Gentiles, we preach to the world. But I want you to notice the third audience that we have that we preach to, and it's one that you might never have thought. But look in verse 10. It says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that we may know to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Do you know we have a third audience that watches us do church each week? It's the angels and the demons. That's what Paul's saying. He says the angels and the demons are peering in watching this happen. So we need to remember that angels and demons are not omniscient. They don't know all things. So they have been learning and seeing how the salvation plan is unfolding throughout Scripture. So that means when we gather, we have a cosmic audience that's watching. That's why in Luke 15, it says that when one sinner repents, 
All of the angels in heaven rejoice when one comes to know Christ. That's why the Bible is going to say that the gates of hell cannot stop the church. So when one sinner repents, the angels are celebrating and the demons are trembling because they know their time is up. They know their time is near. They know nothing they can do can stop the advancement of the gospel. So what you and I do, we are informing the angels and the demons of this gospel in which we believe, in which we minister out to people. So this morning, I want to call you to be a Christ-centered missionary, but there's going to be a step you need to take to do that. And let me just explain that step this way if I can. You know, I, I love going to Astros games. It's, it's one of my favorite things to do, and I try to go to several games a year. And when I go to Astros games, I participate pretty much the same way every time. All right, being a good Baptist, I like to pretty much sit in the same sections each time I can. All right, I have my favorite seats in the Astros games. So I like to sit in sections 233, 234, 235. That's just where I like to sit. Now, when I go, I always pretty much get the same thing to eat. I will get a foot-long hot dog, a bag of peanuts, and I'll eat about half the bag of peanuts because the game is now sped up a little bit more, so foot-long hot dog, half a bag of peanuts, and a Mr. Pibb. Because as much as we love the Astros, they fail at not having Dr. Pepper at the stadium. Okay, so we have to settle for Mr. Pibb, but I'll get a large Mr. Pibb. Now, if I'm not in the mood for the hot dog that night, I'll get nachos, and I'll eat nachos and half a bag of peanuts and a Mr. Pibb. And I love to participate that way. I love about the fourth, fifth inning, they do the welcome home to the military folks, and they'll bring out two or three military people that have finished deployments or retiring. Everybody gives a standing ovation. I love that part. Love about the sixth inning, they do the kiss cam, and that's always funny to watch, people's reactions at the kiss cam. Then seventh inning, one of my favorite things, you all stand up, sing, you know, take me out of the ball game, and then God bless Texas, right? I, I love, love going to the Astros games and participating at that level. It's a fun thing to do. But you know, when I'm in the stands participating that way, I'm often looking out at the field wishing I could participate in a different way. And see, I would love to be on the field. I would love to take a swing of the bat. I mean, Jose Abreu's not doing anything at first base. I used to play first base. Give me a shot. Like, I mean, hey, I can strike out just as much as he does, and I'll, I'll require less salary. I mean, right, you know? Like, I, I'd be happy to do that. I'd love to take a swing. I'd love to get on the field. I'd love to catch. I'd love to throw. I'd love to help participate that way to help the team along. But in order to move to the field and participate in that manner, I have to have an invite. I just can't get out of the stands and come on the field and try to, try to bat in Jose Abreu's spot, right? I've got to be invited. Let me let you know this. It's Jesus Christ that invites you to participate. It's Christ that says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, Jesus invites you to participate in his salvation. He says, come to me. You, you've got a hole in your heart. You've got a hole in your life. You're trying to fill with drugs and alcohol and pornography and wealth and jobs and all these other things. You're trying to fill that void in. Jesus says, that's just going to make you more and more weary. You come to me. I'll give you salvation. I'll give you rest. He invites you to participate in that salvation. But then he invites you to be on mission with him. And he says this, 
follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus says, follow me, and and I'm going to help you make more disciples. I'm inviting you on mission with me to get the gospel out and to make more and more disciples. And the way Jesus does that is through the local church. And you and I need to understand this. The local church was never man's creation. The local church gathered is Christ's creation in the Bible. And if it is Christ's idea, therefore it is non-negotiable for us as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying you have to come to church to be saved. You don't have to go home to be married. But if you don't go home enough being married, your marriage is going to struggle. And so what Jesus says is, look, this isn't man's idea, gathering together in local churches. This is my idea. And the way I'm making disciples and spreading the gospel is through the local church. So follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so let me encourage you this morning for some of you to get out of the stands. And I'm inviting you into Heights Baptist Church to make more disciples. That means this. Come regularly on a Sunday morning. But don't just come. You know, I mean, you can come and attend like I do Astros games. You get a nice snack at Life Group. You can get a good cup of coffee. Here's some good music. You're probably at this point thinking this guy needs to wrap up like I do sometimes in the eighth inning. And come on, Montero, get somebody out tonight, right? I mean, but don't just come. Sing when we sing. Bring a Bible. Open it. Talk to people around you. Don't just be an attender, participate in worship. But don't just participate in worship, build community with others in life groups. Find that spiritual gift you have. Serve within our church. There's all kinds of ways where we're serving to get the gospel out in our community around the world. You can find spots to serve. You can find spots to build community. You can find spots to worship. Give regularly. Your giving makes a difference. And understand this, when you give, Please understand, you never give to meet a budget. I never liked that term in church. We don't give to meet budget numbers around here. We give to make mission happen. And the more you and I give, the more missions happens, the more ministry happens. So I'm going to invite you to give. If you haven't been giving, just start. If you have been giving, continue. Thank you for that. Share your faith with others. Invite them to church. Have gospel conversations with them. Because I'm going to tell you, there's there's joy in sitting in the Astro stands. But man, I'm missing a whole lot more joy by being on that field. There's joy in just coming. But you're missing joy by not attending and inviting and getting in, participating at a deeper level. So let me encourage you this morning to be that Christ-centered missionary. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just right where you are. As you think about being a Christ-centered missionary this morning, first and foremost, as you pray, I'm going to invite you to place your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning you say, you know, I, I don't know Christ as my Savior. I'm feel like I'm far from God. It's Christ that can bring you close. And so I'm going to invite you this morning, place your trust in him. There's no magic words in the Bible to say. It's just, you tell Jesus what's on your heart. I did that when I was 14 years old in my bedroom. You can just pray, Lord, I'm ready to be a Christian and follow Christ. Something just as simple as that. He, it says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden. He's going to give you rest in your soul. As you're praying about that, I'm going to invite you to pray about being a Christ-centered missionary. 
is Christ that says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So what's that commitment that you need to make today as a Christ-centered missionary? Is it to start giving? Is it to get involved in community and a life group? Is it to serve? Is it to attend regularly? What's the commitment that the Lord is putting on your heart to say, here's what I need to do, my next step to be a Christ-centered missionary? As you're praying about that, I want to invite you also, we're going to take a moment to pray to get your mind and your heart ready to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Bible tells us that we need to confess our sin, make sure there's no sin in our hearts, you know, anything we're holding on to, a grudge or anger toward another person or unforgiveness. Ask the Lord to forgive those things before we partake of the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to invite you to pray, and then I'm going to close that time of prayer down. Father, I thank you for this morning, and I, I thank you for those that have made it out today. And Lord, I pray that you hear their prayers. I pray that, Lord, you meet their needs. Father, I pray that together we continue uh, to do your work, Lord, to just help people come to know how great a God you are. So I thank you for the great blessings you have blessed our church with Thank you for so many people that are so faithful uh, each week to do the work you call them to do. And we thank you for Christ who calls us into greater participation uh, with himself and with others so that we can be the Christ-centered missionaries you have designed us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.